I'd invite you to turn with me once again to the book of Ecclesiastes. For those of you who are visiting with us, we've been, we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes since the beginning of uh, this new year. And uh, we find ourselves at Ecclesiastes 5. Now, up to this point, we've seen that Solomon is, is really focused on life under the sun. He, he's focused on, on uh, finding meaning in the way that so many people might be looking for meaning today without God really in the picture. And, uh, and as he looks for meaning, he finds life meaningless. Now, every so often, he gives us a little glimpse at where we do find meaning in life above the sun in connection with God. And here's one of those passages where he talks a little bit about that God connection. It's just seven verses, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 7. Um, he doesn't say a lot about it. Next week, we're going to look at the rest of chapter 5 and all of chapter 6 because Solomon's got a lot to say about money and the financial facts of life. But before he gets to the ridiculous, we'll focus on the sublime for a few moments, and that is our worship, our connection with the God above the sun, which Solomon warns us can also be meaningless depending on how we approach it. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 7, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares, and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin, and do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. We'll include our reading at that point. Would you join me in prayer? <clears throat> Father God, as we, we break from this life under the sun to direct our attention to you above the sun. We pray that you would give us wisdom and how to do so in a way that, that pleases you and that helps us find better connection uh, to you so that we can find meaning in life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Philip Ryken, in his commentary on Ecclesiastes, talks about a film he, he saw, a short film that was on James 3, and it was actually called James 3. And he describes it for us. He says, The short film James 3 portrays a family of four getting ready for church on a Sunday morning. Even though the viewer cannot hear what the family members are saying, it's not hard to read their lips, or at least their attitudes. They wake up sleepy and grumpy. The dad stumbles over the laundry and kicks it out of the way. The older daughter argues with her mother about what she will or will not wear to church. The young daughter, younger daughter spills her milk and cereal. Angry words are exchanged, especially when the dad slams on the brakes while mom was trying to put her lipstick on in the car. 
as they get ready for church. No one in the family smiles or exchanges even one friendly word until they walk into church and it's time to put on a happy face. Then mom and dad smile at the first people they meet. Joyfully, they take their places in the sanctuary. When they stand to sing, their eyes are closed in reverent adoration. As the film ends, the sound begins, and we can hear what they're singing. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Riken asks, which is reality? Which is fantasy? And which is the real you? Is it the person who treats people badly at home or the person that acts nice in the house of God? When you go to worship, is it really worship or are you just pretending? Solomon could have probably produced that film as he now turns his observant eye toward man as worshiper. And he didn't like what he saw. This, too, can be meaningless, even though it is our above-the-sun connection. Solomon warns well-meaning worshipers to stay alert. Now, I don't recall hearing this at the Grand Rapids Airport, but in many airports at the pickup and the drop-off area, you hear a non-stop recording. The white zone is for loading and unloading only. No parking. Five seconds later, the white zone is for loading and unloading only. No parking. Well, Solomon seems to be saying the the pew zone is for learning and listening and growing. No parking. He seems to say that there's too much parking and not enough growing in human worship. Is that true of our worship? Whether it's corporate or individual, at church or or in our homes. Well, Solomon issues a couple of warnings. First, he says, don't play church. Don't play church. Now, as a young boy, I apparently like to play church. According to the stories told, and I'm sure my parents will correct me on this, I'd line up my sister's dolls on chairs and preach to them. And we'd sing from the hymnal and and things like that. Later, I got to see that same thing happening in my own daughters, with my own daughters, and even more recently, my own grandchildren. And sometimes they'd utter nonsensical phrases filled with religious words, pious-sounding phrases that they picked up somewhere at church, although it was nonsense. Now, that's cute when children do this. But Solomon warns us that adults play church as well. First, he says, sometimes we pray church, play church with our offerings. Verse, second part of verse 1, go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. There's a story of a family coming home from church. Dad's complaining about the sermon. Mom's complaining about the music. And the little boy, reflecting on what they put in the offering plate, said, well, you've got to admit it was a pretty good show for a buck. (laughs) Is worship just cheap weekend entertainment for us? What do we put into it? Not so much monetarily, but what do we put into it as far as our preparation to worship God and our praise of God. Solomon warns us not to offer the sacrifice of fools, unthinking worship. He also reminds us not to play church with our hearts 
and mouths. Verse 2, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Quick and hasty words are also a sign of unthinking worship. Unthinking worship. We may utter pious-sounding phrases sprinkled with religious words like kids playing church, but do they mean anything? A sign at a factory where I once worked could be placed at the entrance to every church door. It says, caution, be sure brain is engaged before be sure brain is engaged before putting mouth into gear. Be sure brain is engaged before putting mouth into gear. That's what Solomon's talking about here. Are we too often offer quick and hasty in offering our worship and it becomes meaningless? We can also uh, play church with our minds. Verse 3, a dream comes when there are many cares. Many words mark the speech of a fool. And then later in verse 7, dream is, is uh, used again. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Derek Kidner writes, The dreams appear to be daydreams, reducing worship to verbal doodling. So Solomon warns us about daydreams. Do we doodle our way through worship? Thinking about upcoming vacation or thinking about what we got to do at work or school this week or... Maybe think about the roast burning in the oven because the preacher is getting too long. We need to get rid of our preoccupations in order to concentrate in worship, Solomon says. So he says, don't play church, but also don't play games. And now he gets really serious. Verses 4 through 6. <clears throat> when you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin and do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? So now Solomon focuses on what in his mind is the most important aspect of worship. And it's not prayer. It's not singing. It's not offerings. It's not even the sermon. Solomon says the most important aspect of worship is making commitments and decisions in God's presence. Making commitments and decisions in God's presence. And his, his father David said the, a similar thing in Psalm 22, verse 25, when he says, Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. Whoever coming to worship anticipating making vows? A church is where vows are made to God. Now, obviously, there are vows that we're quite aware of. Young couple comes up and makes uh, wedding vows. Uh, we make vows at baptism. We make vows when we make profession of faith or when we become office bearers in the church. But Solomon and David are talking here about personal vows. Personal vows. Maybe it's a vow to pray and read Scripture daily. Maybe it's a vow uh, or asking forgiveness with a vow to change, to make a change in our life. Maybe it's promising God certain actions based on the sermon that we heard. Maybe we don't even make a particular promise. We simply make a decision in God's presence to change, to act, to do better in certain areas. 
Now, that's a little tougher because of the world we live in. We live in a world where, where people very easily change their minds or deny their vows. Where it becomes far easier almost to get divorced than to get married. Where we no longer listen to the promises of politicians, which we just assume are superficial or shallow or maybe even outright lies. But we live with a God who believes in vows and doesn't forget his promises. And so we can play games with others. We can even play games with ourselves. But Solomon says, don't play games with God. Don't play games with God. Jonah did and ended up in the belly of a whale before he kept his vow. Take God seriously because he takes us seriously. So what about our worship? Do we play church like children, singing words without meaning, praying pious phrases but not giving any thought to what we're saying, offering our spare change, promising what we cannot or do not intend to keep, Babbling, rambling, wild words may be all right in a dream, writes David Hubbard, but they don't belong in worship. Our relationship with God is one of sober, respectful, reverent awe. False worship is as much an affront to him as obscene insults are to a wife or husband. Better to bribe a judge than to ply God with hollow words. Better to slap a policeman than to seek God's influence by meaningless gestures. Better to perjure yourself in court than to harry God with promises you do not intend to keep. Well, then Solomon, after spending some time with some warnings, that not to let worship be another one of these meaningless things under the sun, frames his warnings with proverbs of wisdom. And the first thing he says is, stay alert. Stay alert. He actually says it a little bit differently that fits his context. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God, which reflects the temple setting. The Israelites had to first climb Mount Zion to approach the temple, and I've done that walk between the temple stairs and, and down below by the Pool of Siloam, and it is very steep. It is mountain climbing. First they had to do that, and then when they finally got to the base of the temple, then they had to go up a whole other flight or two of stairs to get up into the temple and the temple mount. And so Solomon, so they had to guard their steps. Guarding your steps meant being alert for any obstacles that might be there. They had to be careful alert also to maintain their ritual purity. It's reflected well in Psalm 24, which we began our service with, where David says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may even make this ascent up to the hill of the Lord? We have to be careful. They had to be careful to maintain their ritual purity as they came into the presence of a holy God with reverence. And and in fact, the steps of the temple actually uh, helped this cause because the steps were built with you had a few steps and then all of a sudden there was a very deep step and then there's a few more steps and another deep step almost like a landing and this was so people just couldn't run up to the temple they had to pause and oftentimes at those landing spots then they would sing one of the Hillel Psalms 
in praise of God, but it, it meant it helped them to maintain their ritual purity, that they just didn't come flying up and stumble and the like, and to come to God's presence with reverence. So this deals with our approach to God. How do we prepare to come into his presence? Solomon advises, go near to listen. To listen. Now, that word is, is actually the Hebrew word shema. I've talked about this before. It's the word that describes their profession of faith. It's kind of like their Apostles' Creed. Uh, it's the first word of that profession of faith. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is Lord alone. Making that confession. He's the only God. He is my, my God. But Shema meant not just listen, but it meant more than that. It meant to, to obey. You know, we still have that in, in uh, you know, our, our English language, say, the word listen itself. If your mom says, you know, or asks, are you listening to me? She might be asking, are you attentive to what I'm saying? But if she comes by later and said, you didn't listen to me, that's listening in a whole different way, right? It's about obedience. Well, that's the word Shema, and that's what Solomon comes. Go near to listen in order to hear, but also in order to obey. To hear, to pay attention, first of all. Henry David Thoreau, of all people, says it takes two to speak the truth. One to speak, the other to listen. Apply that to our setting. What difference does God's truth make if no one listens? Walt Whitman said, to have great poets, you have to have great audiences, which I think he meant those who have the ability to comprehend the poetry and to enjoy the poetry. In a similar way in worship, to have great messages from God, you must not only have a a well-prepared spokesman, but an actively listening congregation. But then that also leads to, to heed God, to obey him, to put the truth into action. Samuel says to obey is better than sacrifice. It's not that making sacrifices isn't, isn't good. No, it was part of their worship. But to obey is better than sacrifice. Think about it. If a politician uh, running for office gets people to, to stand up and take notice of him or her, if the politician gets them to listen, but then on November whatever, on their election day, they don't vote for that person, the congressman's words have been wasted. If advertisers spend a lot of money trying to get people to take notice of their ads, like all the billions of dollars probably spent for the advertisements today for the Super Bowl, and you don't, and it doesn't get people to buy their products, their money's been wasted. God wants both hearers and doers who will put his truth into action. And so Solomon says, stay alert in order to prepare yourself to hear and to heed and to make vows that you will keep. And then the second thing Solomon says is not just stay alert, but stand in awe. Stand in awe. 
David also asks in Psalm 24, after he asks who may ascend the hill of the Lord, he asks who may stand in his holy place. Who may stand in his holy place? The presence of God is a holy place. Moses took off his sandals when he was in the presence of God. The high priest entered the, the holy place and the holy of holies with fear. Have we lost that sense of awe? Solomon says in verse 2, God is in heaven, you are on earth, so let your words be few. God is in heaven, you are on earth, so let your words be few. In other words, remember who you're dealing with. Realize God's greatness and your smallness. We can sing what a friend we have in Jesus, and it is true that he is our friend. We sang earlier, uh, Christ our brother. We can sing all those things, and those are all true, but ultimately we can never approach God as equals. He is always king. I, I think of uh, back, and this dates me, when Mikhail Gorbachev and uh, George H.W. Bush would always call each other Mr. President, even though they were on a first-name basis, in order to remain to maintain respect for the office. We must always maintain respect for God. Awe for our awesome and holy God. But ha having said that, it can be easy to despair then, even entering his presence. As David said, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? None of us can. None of us are worthy. But God himself came out of that holy place, tearing the curtain at Jesus' crucifixion, and gives us through Jesus Christ the right to approach him. So that later an author writing to Jewish believers in Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews could write in chapter 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not give up, giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So there's always this tension, this tension in our worship between God's awesomeness and the avenue of approach that we now have through Jesus Christ. So Solomon at least for a few verses, breaks out of his cynical approach to life under the sun to explore our approach to God above the sun. He moves from horizontal relationships to our vertical relationship. Like a cool oasis in a hot, arid desert is worship. It is our above-the-sun connection, a time of refreshment and times of pressure, meaningful worship, in a meaningless world. T.M. Moore has written a loose poetic paraphrase of these verses.
that can help us remember its spiritual lessons. So he says, this is what Solomon's saying. How brazen and dishonest people are with their religion. They will go as far with it as suits their needs. So they attend services and sing the hymns and when they have to, give a little money to the Lord. But do they live as one who sh- one should who has made a vow to God? Don't kid yourself. <clears throat> Among their friends, their faith is on the shelf. Remember, God knows everything. He knows our hearts. When before him we bring our worship, and you can't fool him. So take a good look at yourself before you make the next, your next appearance before the Lord. And go to listen, not to speak. For he will know just what you need. Why any fool can spout a lovely prayer, sing a hymn about his faith, his words are mindless like a dream, although people looking on, to people looking on, they seem impressive, not to God. For words are cheap, just like the dreams you have when you're asleep. God wants your heart, my son, not just to show. Get right with him before you to him go. Our worship times, whether corporately or, or individually, whether in the church or at home, as important to us as they were to Solomon, Are they important enough to hear Solomon's words and and warnings and heed his wisdom? Can we, dare we, make a vow, a commitment to stay alert as we ascend the hill of the Lord and to stand in awe in his holy presence? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your servant Solomon, as unorthodox as he may be in the way he he, uh, presents Uh, life under the sun, but also life above the sun. We're thankful for his glimpse uh, that reminds us of our relationship with you and our connection with you through worship. Help us to heed his warnings so that we might uh, not come casually, not come unthinkingly, not come just to play church, but we might throw ourselves before your throne that we might stand in awe in your presence and that we might not only hear what you have to say to us, but seek to live it out in the coming week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we uh, conclude our worship, we're going to sing together, joining with uh, all of the creation. It's one one of the wonderful things in the Psalms is that the Psalms continue to talk about how how it's not just us, human worshipers, who make that connection above the sun, but that in some way all of God's creation is just uh, in awe of him and wants to praise him as well. And, and so all creatures of our God and King join together with us as we praise him. So let's, let's join them as we sing all creatures of our God and King. We'll sing verses 1, 2, and 5. It's number 63 in the celebration hymnal. The words will also be on your screens. Let's stand as we sing. <clears throat> 